Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome back to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell, and this is episode number 41. On today's show, I interview ex-Googler Jessie Shuraleff about her journey of stepping away from the corporate world in order to follow her passion of starting a podcast and a business. But first, let's jump into my personal update. Well, it took me a little longer than I thought it would, but I finally finished my round of content editing on book number three in my urban fantasy series. I'm hoping to get it out to the world by the end of March, like at the latest, but no matter how many books I publish, I always seem to underestimate how long it'll take to go from the sort of semi-finished manuscript to an actual published book. But, you know, I can hope, right? I'm also chopping at the bit right now to get vegetable seedlings started for our farm. I started a little too early last year, and I'm really trying to rein myself in this time. I do get to start onions from seed this weekend, so I am weirdly excited about that. I don't know if you folks have noticed yet, but I'm a weird, nerdy one. So come on and be weird with me. (laughs) Actually, speaking of nerdy, this month I've been loving WandaVision. I don't know if you like the Marvel Universe, but I am loving it right now. I might have been maybe totally sucked into the Marvel side of TikTok. Actually, on the subject of TikTok, I definitely thought it was an app where like Gen Z just hangs out and does like dance videos. And I was so, so wrong about that, guys. So there are a ton of women just like us on TikTok who are finding awesome niches on the app. There are women business owners giving advice for small businesses, creatives telling you how to sell more of your art. There's even a book TikTok where you can see others talking about their favorite books or reenacting their favorite scenes from books or movies. TikTok is kind of awesome, you guys. It's also a lot less formal than Instagram, so I kind of feel like I can just like make a quick video without making sure that like the background or my makeup or my hair is perfect. So it's kind of nice. Okay, I will stop gushing about TikTok, but if you're already on there, come and follow me at Go Find Out Podcast. I'm going to be putting out a lot more content on that platform because it's just kind of quickly becoming my, my favorite place to sort of be on social media. And again, it's a lot more friendly than I have found Instagram to be. Okay, one last thing from an update this week. So I've been kicked out of my podcast recording closet because my husband has been finishing it out, which is super exciting. Um, But hopefully I will have a door soon instead of just moving blankets for a door. So yay! It might take a little bit to get back in there and sort of get the sound quality down now that I'll have actual walls instead of just exposed insulation, which actually did a surprisingly good job at absorbing sound. So it'll be a little bit different when I actually go back in there. I'll have to figure out some soundproofing. So for now, I am just podcasting from underneath a uh, moving blanket. Yay. (laughs) All right. Enough blathering about me. Let's get to the interview with Jesse. Today, I'm speaking with Jesse Sherliff, who is an ex-Googler and was previously the Senior Head of Industry, Business and Industrial Markets, Home and Consumer Services, and Education Verticals. Jesse now hosts a podcast called This Is My Truth, where she provides a platform for honest, open conversations on topics that are not often spoken about or discussed. Today, we'll focus on her journey of going from Google to starting her podcast and business. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Jennifer, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Before we kind of jump into some of the the deeper questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? 
Yes, I would love to. So I am the mama of two amazing little humans, and I am based here in Chicago, though I grew up in uh, New York and lived in Boston. So as long, I always say that while I'm in the Midwest for the last um, close to 15 years, I'm always an East Coaster at heart. Gotcha. So now I, I know that I, I gave your Google title in the intro, but that was a very long title. And they don't always get like titles don't always give us the big picture of the job. So can you kind of break down for us what you actually did at your job for Google? Yeah. And admittedly, at Google, our titles, people are always like, what? Like you were a head <laughs> of industry? Like, what does that even mean? So that is completely a, a great question. So um, I was at Google for 13 and a half years. And to say that I did every role possible, within our sales organization would not be an understatement. But for the last five years, I led a sales team that was focused on our display and video advertising platforms. And so for Google, that was YouTube and, you know, those lovely little uh, display ads that you see, you know, as you're browsing the internet, um, my team would would partner with our brands and make sure that those were appropriately placed. And while most people find them annoying, they do keep the internet free. That's what I, I like to tell That's my team that our, our mission was was to keep the internet free. And so, you know, we partnered with some of the largest brands, global brands across the B2B um, education and then home and consumer vertical space. So, you know, brands like ADT or, you know, University Phoenix, B2B brands like Salesforce, you know, we, we partnered with, with large organizations and my team is really responsible for becoming trusted partners to these executive teams and to the digital marketing teams and really understanding, you know, what were their goals? You know, what were they trying to do as a business? And then aligning Google solutions as it made sense to achieve those goals. Nice. And kind of at what point did you start thinking that maybe it might be time to move on from Google to something else? Yeah, so I posted about this on my blog, but you know, I started to get this feeling, this nagging feeling or, you know, I would say this this voice. And for me, the way that I tend to make decisions, I'm not someone who has always, you know, been like I am going to be the CEO of a company one day. I've sort of taken my life um as I enjoy this, so I don't enjoy this. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do more of this. And so that's sort of how I've navigated my career, both within Google and then sort of, you know, just general life decisions, which frankly drives my husband insane, but it seems to work for me. And I give that context because I'm also someone who's really driven. And, you know, even when I first met my husband, which was, you know, 13 and a half years ago, we actually met um, my first day at Google. Uh, and, we, I always said that I wanted to start my own business, but I didn't know what that was. And admittedly, I got caught up in sort of the, you know, go, go, go of like, I'm doing really well in my job. I keep getting promoted. I got promoted very quickly. I was one of the, the younger sales managers within the global business organization within Google. And I was on the fast track to, to the next level, which was directorship. In fact, I was a runner up for a director role last January. And so, you know, on the outside looking in, it was like I had this amazing job. I, you know, had the quote unquote, the title. I was on that track to, you know, like corporate success, quote unquote. 
But there was this feeling inside of me that just was not this. And I really started to notice it actually coming back from my second maternity leave with with my youngest. Mm. And I say this because I'm someone who, because I'm so driven, I sometimes ignore, um, (laughs) you know, your inner voice or your gut. And so there were numerous times where like not this would you know, it would be like a whisper. And and one of those times was when I was coming back from mat leave with Quinn. And I had to miss um, her first birthday. I had to be on a business trip. And, you know, I got the, the murmur of not this again. A couple of months later, when I was sitting in a meeting, and because I had been at Google for so long, a lot of the same conversations were coming up over and over again. And I like had to make that conscious decision of like, do I just say like passive aggressively that we've talked about this for like the last seven years or do I, um, you know, state my opinion? Like what's, what's the choice that I'm going to make? And then the voice became a little bit louder during the pandemic. And I like to say that in Chicago, we don't have family nearby. So we basically paid for our village Um, and it was an amazing village and it was a super supportive village. But when that paid village has gone away because of a global pandemic. You're left on your own. And, and Google was great. They had a special, they created a special leave um, situation for the pandemic. But as my timer ran out, my husband and I found ourselves literally splitting days between childcare, being childcare, and um, working full time jobs. And one of those moments was I had to pick my daughter up from my oldest daughter up from school. And my youngest daughter, I had to take her in the car with me. And I also had a really important business call that I had to take. And I'll tell the story real quick, but I I think it gives context to sort of like the not this and any working parent may be able to relate to to this, this story, especially in the pandemic times. But in my mind, like I was like, okay, this call got scheduled during school pickup time. But if I get to the school early and just park, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, no big deal. So that's what I do. And in my mind, I'm like giving myself like all the props. I'm like working mom for the win. <laughs> so I parked the car. And of course, at that moment, Quinn, my youngest says like that she has to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. And of course, there's no bathroom near, nearby. And so I'm on this conference call trying to lead it. I'm trying to coach the person on my team who's who's also, you know, leading the conversation. And meanwhile, in the background, my two and a half year old is having an epic meltdown because she cannot go to the bathroom. And I'm negotiating with her to, I'm not kidding you, pee in a Whole Foods reusable bag because it's the only thing in my car that, you know, is a some semblance that will like capture this or telling her that she can just pee on me. And I'm like, sitting there and I'm like, what am I doing trying to do to do this all? And and that was sort of like the not this became like a bit of a shout. And so I, I share all of this because for me, that was actually a, a two year process of sort of like seeing these different moments, these different scenarios, like hearing the not this, having it be like a murmur to like a sentence to like yelling to like a shout where I looked up and I was like, I need to reevaluate my priorities and and what what is most important to me. And ultimately, it's my family and what was giving me energy, which was my podcast and and the ideas that I had around around that. And so 
I had to have, my husband and I had to have a lot of like difficult conversations and some of them weren't conversations, they were arguments and full transparency. But ultimately we were able to come to a, a solution where I was able to leave my corporate job in the middle of a global pandemic to, to focus on my passions. And I say this with so much gratitude and humbleness in my heart because I recognize there's so much privilege and me being able to do that when so many people and women in particular are not able to make that choice, the choice is being made for them. Mm. But, you know, for us, it was it was this two year process of sort of, you know, having these conversations, figuring out what that could look like. And, and then how did we start to, you know, save and make adjustments and, and get to that point? And so now, obviously, I think most people have heard of Google, um, and it's one of those companies that a lot of folks really dream about working for. And as such, did you get a lot of pushback for deciding to leave? It's a really good question. You know, it was really interesting, the responses I got. So my family, you know, my my dad actually was the person who really encouraged me to take the job at Google. So when I got the offer back in 2007, I will never forget this. I was in an elevator and I was like, dad, I think I'm going to turn it down. I want to stay in Boston. I don't want to move to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I literally know no one in the Midwest and I don't really have a desire to live there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you don't turn Google down. At this point, Google had just been named for the first time the best company to work for. And I'm very grateful that I did not turn turn it down. You know, it it was an amazing 13 and a half years. It afforded me numerous life experiences. I got to travel the world um, with Google. I met my now husband. I've met amazing, amazing humans. But also it it was it was a job. And the the pushback, I wouldn't say it was pushback, but I definitely did have to sort of explain to my family, you know, why I was making this decision to sort of like get off the corporate ladder, especially when, you know, every time I had a child, someone in my extended family would be like, well, you're not going to go back to work, right? And I'd be like, no, no, I'm definitely going back to work. Like I believe in like working parents. And, um, and so you know, I had to sort of just have have honest conversations around how my priorities had changed and how I really wanted to focus on on things that were giving me energy. And unfortunately, you know, my job in corporate America was no longer giving me energy. Right. What was interesting was the responses I got from Googlers themselves, especially women. And that was one, it sort of broke my heart. The The most common responses I got were, I'm jealous. That's amazing. You're so courageous and brave. And I wish I could do that. And I share that because the theme that sort of came to me for myself for 2021, you know, everyone had these like words for me, it was like, this came to me was this notion of like, breaking the handcuffs. And I think that we all have handcuffs, like handcuffs can be lots of different things. And So many of my fellow colleagues and friends, people I really admire, this notion of like golden handcuffs, for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, it's it's the notion of like a company giving you financial incentive to stay. It's real and it's legitimate. And that's why it took me two years to be able to actually, you know, take the big leap because we had to figure it out. And so it was interesting to sort of see the responses of my fellow Googlers and know that many of us can feel that burden of a handcuff in lots of different ways, um, even within 
within an amazing company. So now you've been podcasting since March 2020. Yeah. So I, I launched the podcast in March 2020 on my daughter's fourth birthday. And um, so the podcast is called This Is My Truth. And I launched it as, you know, my personal mission is to, to create community and connection through sharing personal stories. And the reason why this is so important to me is, for the longest time, I shared a little bit about this in, in terms of like just who I am as a person. I was someone who built up walls. I was able to achieve, you know, outward success because frankly, I didn't allow myself to, to really feel emotions. Mm. And it was a coping mechanism because I've, I've gone through some, some big things in my life that I didn't necessarily want to deal with. And one of those was actually my journey to motherhood. And I'll I won't get into to all the details, but you know, my husband and I experienced infertility. It took us a very long time to have children. We ultimately went the route of IVF and we became pregnant with twins. And so my oldest daughter is actually a twin, though um, we lost our son when I was 16 weeks pregnant. And I share this because I didn't ever process any of that. And then 23 months later, I had my second daughter also by IVF. And then I was in the throes of motherhood. And I looked up one morning, I'll never forget this, it's six or three in the morning, and I'm brushing my teeth and my husband just looks at me and goes, are you happy? And for some reason, I just blurted out the truth. And I said, no, and it scared him and it scared me. And I had to really, I had to get help, but I also had to really evaluate the things that had happened in my life. And one of those was that I had to deal with my journey to becoming a mom. And in doing so, I, you know, I started journaling, I started writing a lot, and I started to share my story. I, I shared it for myself first, and then I started to share it with others. And in that sharing of my story and my journey, so many people told me me too. And it wasn't that they had also experienced infertility, some of them had, but more often than not, there were pieces of my story that they could latch onto in their own experiences. And I had my aha of how many of us have experienced moments where we felt alone or isolated and didn't think that anyone else would be able to experience what we experienced, which is true, right? All of our journeys are, are uniquely our own. But in sharing my story, I found community and connection like I'd never had before. I'd actually been like craving that and I didn't even know it. And so my podcast was my way of, of paying that forward for all the people that created those safe spaces for me. And, you know, I go back to, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to leave Google, you know, someone asked me, what gives you energy? And my answer was, well, my family and these amazing humans that I get to connect with on my podcast where they're sharing things that they may have never shared before. And, and I wanted more of that, you know, going back to like, not this, not this, not this, like more of this, more of this, more of this. And so that, that made my decision a little bit easier to make. Do you feel like you have any specific habits that have helped you to be successful in podcasting? For me, it's been consistency. So, you know, podcasts are blowing up, as I'm sure you are well aware. Um, but for me, it was being really intentional in terms of being true to my mission and and just being intentional about getting out there. So when I first launched the podcast, I literally remember looking at my husband and being like, what if no one wants to share their story with me? Right. <laughs> and, you know, you just never know. And, you know, 
I had so many conversations with so many amazing humans over the last year to the point where I was so backlogged that I actually was releasing two to three conversations a week because I'd had so many of them. Wow. And so for me, just being consistent and intentional about getting those episodes out has been like a huge game changer for me. That's awesome. And what do you think that you would have missed out on had you not left Google and pursued starting the podcast? I think for me personally, if I had stayed at Google, I think of, I know this sounds melodramatic and I don't necessarily mean it for it to be, but I do believe it. I think a part of my soul would have been crushed in that I, you know, I, I shared earlier that I was you know, someone who shoved emotions down and didn't deal with things. Mm -hmm. And while it did well for me, right, like it was a coping mechanism that allowed me to be like very successful in life. The downside was that I also didn't like experience joy and happiness and um, to the extent that I now do. And so for me, starting the podcast was this outlet that was so life-changing in that you know, I would literally get a like euphoric hit of like dopamine and having these like amazing conversations with people. And so if I had stayed at Google, I would have just gotten sucked back into the grind. I would have become a director, which meant that I would have been traveling even more than I was, which on an average, you know, pre-COVID month, I was traveling three weeks out of the month, usually to several cities within each week. And, you know, I would have missed out on amazing connections. And frankly, you know, I view the podcast as my goal is to model for my daughters, like how to have hard conversations. And so I view it a bit of a legacy and that I'm able to like give this gift back to my kids. And I would have, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if I had stayed at Google. It is kind of awesome to be able to leave this you know, this podcast behind for your kids to be able to listen to years from now or their children to be able to listen to years from now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a cool thing. It's really cool. They're either going to be insanely embarrassed or really proud. (laughs) Probably a mix of both. (laughs) I I was going to say, it'll probably be a, you know, a transitional thing. They'll start out insanely embarrassed (laughs) as teenagers and then, you know, they'll be like, my mom has a podcast and be very proud of it. So yes, (laughs) fingers crossed. (laughs) What do you feel like has been your biggest challenge, um, you know, when switching away from sort of a more traditional work setting to start the podcast? Because, you know, podcasting is a very sort of entrepreneurial, really, um, kind of setting where you kind of have to, like, make your own schedule and everything. So what would you say has been your biggest challenge there? Oh, my gosh, I have so many challenges that I could talk about. <laughs> you know, I would say, you know, and it, it's an adjustment, right? It's been It's been an adjustment. It's been a wonderful adjustment, but it's been an adjustment. The easy answer is like the biggest challenge is my mindset and just changing, you know, making sure that I am keeping my mindset in one that is not fear-based, right? Like when you're taking that leap, you know, for example, two weeks ago, I started to get all my letters, right? That like my health insurance was canceled and my life insurance was canceled. And again, like we had a plan, like we have other life insurance. We had always had other, or we had health insurance for my, my husband's company now, and we had always had additional life insurance, but still that notion of, oh my goodness, did I do the right thing? Like, was this actually the right decision? Like that fear is so easily crept in. And so really making sure that I am doing the things that are going to help 
keep my mind away from fear. So simple things like for me, it's meditating in the morning and journaling, exercising, and then just surrounding myself with people that are going to hold me accountable, but then also support me and lift me up and sort of, you know, give me that support when I need it, but then also, you know, give me the shove when I need it too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I would just say, in that community, like one of the things I knew I was going to miss with Google is in Google, you get feedback 360, like you're always getting feedback, mm. 360 feedback all the time. And so I was like, well, how do I create that? Because I thrive off of that. And so again, it's, it was finding the, the pockets of community, like creating my own, you know, team basically to where I of amazing humans, mainly women of creating those sounding boards so that I'm not creating things in a, in a silo or a vacuum. No, I think that's that's really important, definitely. And what one piece of advice do you have for women who are thinking about stepping away from a high-profile position to pursue something that they're passionate about? It seems like really simple advice, but it's it's really hard in practice. But I would say take the leap. You have your parachute, whether you realize it or not, take the leap. It's a scary leap. <laughs> it is a scary leap. And and it, it, it completely is. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a leap tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but what are, what are those, the, what are the steps that you need to take? Like, what are the preparations that you need to make, right? Like, how are you packing your parachute so that it feels comfortable for you? I'll, I'll share one quick story. So in the midst of like my breakdown of getting all the letters of like everything being canceled, I also happened to receive a package from my Um, my parents who just recently moved to their second home on Cape Cod permanently. And so they had sent me a bunch of stuff from my grandparents who have both been, you know, not with us for, for many years at this point. And I come from a very large Italian family of which like family is like, yeah, most important. And my grandparents were like the, you know, matriarch and patriarch. And so you know, I avoided opening the box in typical me fashion. And I happened to open the box, you know, a few days after getting all these letters. And in the box was a manila folder. And I was like, what the heck is in this? And I opened it up and it's patent papers from 1949 in my grandfather's name. Oh my gosh. And I like, that was literally my reaction. I was like, what is this? Like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? And so it's like patent, it's like the actual patent papers, it's like letters going back and forth from lawyers. And then there's a handwritten note from my great uncle, who I'd never met. And in the letter, my uncle describes sort of, you know, how this patent came across. And my grandfather was in World War II in the Navy. And so while he was in the service, he came up with this idea. My uncle, his brother ended up putting in the papers in his name. It took them four years. So they came up with the idea or they filed for the paperwork in 1945. In 1949, they received the patent. And my uncle goes on in the letter to say that his only regret was that they did nothing with the patent. Hmm. Let me repeat that. They did nothing with the patent because they didn't have the sales and the marketing expertise. They didn't know who to turn to. And these are in his words. And I'm like bawling. I was bawling, like even just opening the box and seeing like the stuff that was my grandparents. But then like reading this letter and, and looking at the patent, I'm bawling because It was like the sign that I didn't know that I needed, that I very much needed, that like when you take that leap, you're right, it's scary, but the alternative is you don't do anything with it. 
and you just you just never know right and so for me i share that story because it was like the reminder from the universe that i that i didn't know that i needed that i very much needed that it was i was on the right path and while it was scary the alternative was you don't do anything with it and i didn't want to be on that side of history that is a good sign yes from the universe <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed i'll let you know do you have any recommendations for like books or maybe any other like inspirational tools that have helped you sort of in your journey? Yeah. So for me, one of the biggest supports has been masterminds and finding communities of like-minded, mainly women. So I'm in a mastery program with um, a coach, Heather Chauvin, which has been instrumental in just being able to surround myself with, you know, like I said, like-minded people. And, you know, other communities like Hey Mama or um, the Female Entrepreneur Network have been really, really helpful for me. Um, And then, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown, like big girl crush. And I would say like any of her books, but the one that I particularly love, especially, you know, as I stepped into a a leadership position at Google, but then I, I truly believe anyone is a leader, regardless if you like quote unquote manage people or not. And so my, one of my favorites from her is Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. I have that one. I've read half of it. I need to finish it. <laughs> yeah. And now I understand that you are also starting a membership program for women entrepreneurs. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and when that starts? Yeah. So thank you for asking. You know, we talked a lot about sort of, you know, why I left Google and to, to focus on my passions. And one of the things that I realized as I was, you know, making the sleep was, and this is like a Google thing. I'm really good at a lot of different things. Like at Google, you have to wear a lot of different hats. And I was like, well, how do I take all of these things that I'm good at and like do something with it? But then I had to ask myself, but like, what are you most passionate about? And for me, that's really helping women entrepreneurs find their voice, both from a personal perspective, but also from a branding perspective and then amplify that voice. I've talked to so many women entrepreneurs who have told me in so many ways, you know, I have so many stories, but I don't know how to actually use them to help amplify my brand. And frankly, I don't have time to do it either. And it really struck me because at the heart of everything I've ever done at any point in my career, I can always tie my success back to building relationships. And you build relationships in two ways. You ask questions and you tell stories. And a light bulb went off in talking to these women. And I'm like, it's all about storytelling. And so I'm launching a membership program in uh, April 1st, 2021. And I almost said 2020, going back here. <laughs> 2021. So April 1st, I'm really excited. I'm launching a membership program. And it is to support um, women entrepreneurs or female identifying um, entrepreneurs in helping them leverage um, storytelling as an effective sales and marketing tool. Because at the end of the day, people want to buy from people. Like, yes, they want good products, they want good services, but they really want to know the person that they're buying from. And you do that by leveraging your stories and your own experiences and the way to do that. And so I'm creating space where I'll be bringing in people from from my network, from other networks, and really helping entrepreneurs identify how they can tell their stories and make space to actually create those stories in a way that will actually help them to amplify their brand's voice and ultimately bring in 
um, you know, more revenue or profit or whatever their, their goals are. Nice. That's awesome. And so where can we actually like sign up for that or find you online? The best place to, to find out more is on my website at www.jessysherleff.com. That's J-E-S-S-I-S-H-U-R-A-L-E-F as in Frank, F as in Frank.com. Or you can also um, check me out at my podcast um, on This Is My Truth. And I post all the, or I talk about all the information um, on, it, on my podcast as well. Perfect. And I will definitely drop those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate it. I thought that there were a lot of really great takeaways from Jesse's interview. One thing that really stood out to me was the phrase golden handcuffs. I definitely had heard the phrase before, but I had never really investigated it, you know, to see like what that actually meant. So golden handcuffs are when a company offers incentives like a bonus, stock options, the use of a company car, or supplemental retirement options to get good employees to stay at the company. I should point out that this isn't like some evil scheme by the companies, but rather it's simply a tactic to get folks to stay at the organization. And I I totally get it. It really is incentivizing to know that if you do a good job, you'll get a bonus at the end of the year. And for me, that was definitely one major reason that I hesitated to leave my last traditional position. It was honestly difficult to justify leaving a job in which I knew I was going to get paid what my experience was worth and that I'd get a bonus if I continued to do a great job. It can be really hard to shake those golden cuffs if you're trying to leave a company like that. And society definitely doesn't make it any easier. Friends and family won't think twice about asking you, you know, why would you want to leave a job that has such great incentives? However, sometimes those incentives aren't enough to keep you in a role, especially if the very act of doing your job is a soul-sucking endeavor. When I worked as a mental health counselor for a prison in Texas, no amount of incentives would have been enough to make me stay. And just as an aside, it wasn't because it was a prison. I enjoyed working with my clients there. What made me leave was the drama that the other counselors were involved in, which was being ignored by management. So no amount of bonus or other incentives could have made me want to put up with those coworkers every day. So sometimes having crappy coworkers can help you break those golden handcuffs. And sometimes just the nature of the job itself can help you see past those incentives that the organization is using to get you to stay. If you're currently still stuck in a position because of those golden handcuffs and you hate that position, it can be really helpful to really examine if staying in your role and receiving those incentives really outweighs the mental health benefits of leaving, you know, of taking that sort of leap into the next thing. And speaking of taking the leap, that's the other thing that Jesse spoke about in the interview that really stuck with me. I loved that story about opening a box of her grandparents' stuff and learning about her grandfather's patent that he never did anything with. He never took that leap, and there was a variety of good reasons why he didn't, you know, take that leap back then. I mean, we didn't have a world of knowledge at our fingertips like we do now. Things were a lot harder to do back then and also took a lot longer to get done. But today, things move at light speed. Like seriously, think about it. If you want to start a business, you could literally hop online, find the forms you need, fill them out, and mail them in today. In a matter of weeks, you could be an official business. You could create a website in one day. You can build a following on social media platforms before you even start your business, and that way you have customers before you even start selling products. So it's easier than ever to start a business now or to jump into a new field, but it's still not that easy to take that leap. 
to take that first step of leaving your current position and leaping into the unknown. Why do we stay in dead-end jobs or crappy relationships when it's possible that we could do better and be happier? There's a quote by psychologist Virginia Satir that has really stuck with me since I heard it in grad school. She said, most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. I'm going to repeat that. Most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. It's scary to try and do something different than we're used to. The thing that we want to do doesn't even have to be an entirely new concept. It could just be something that's new to us, something that, you know, we've never done before. And underneath that misery of uncertainty lurks those seven deadly fears, you know, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of missing out, fear of deflation or losing interest, fear of mediocrity, fear of being alone, or the fear of competition, whether it's competition against others or ourselves. One or more of those fears is holding you back from making that leap. Because what if, right? Like, what if you fail? What if you leap and you're alone in your effort to succeed because no one in your group understands your goals? All of those fears are totally valid. And you're not going to like this, but you're right. They could potentially happen if you take the leap and go after your passion. Yeah, you might fail. Yeah, you might lose interest in your goal. You might find yourself in competition with others who are fierce competition. But... You might also take the leap and finally discover the thing that makes you happiest in the world. You might leap and suddenly find yourself making wins every day. You might leap and realize that that thing was what you should have been doing all along and why the hell didn't you leap sooner? You might not know what's going to happen if you take that leap, but you do know what will happen if you don't take the leap. A certainty of misery, right? And if you don't leap... If you don't, go find out. Then you'll always wonder what would have happened if you did. All right, that's it for this week's show, awesome listeners. I hope that you enjoyed today's show and the interview with Jesse. Join me next week when I talk about the path of least resistance and how it's often the wrong path. Until then, take the leap and go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own go find out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at gfopodcast or follow me on Instagram at gofindoutpodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out. <laughs>